Does $10 down and $10 a month sound like a good deal for an installment plan to purchase a plot of land in a sun-drenched paradise? Would you make such a deal sight unseen? What if the land was in an inaccessible wilderness? Or underwater four months out of the year? Or in a surreal, perpetually half-developed neighborhood carved out of unimproved scrub forest? Doesn't sound like such a good deal now, right? Today I'm joined by Jason Buick author of The Swamp Peddlers, released this year by the University of North Carolina Press, to discuss his new book, which details the shady, unethical, and outright criminal land-selling practices employed to sucker out-of-staters into buying undeveloped, often inaccessible lots in the Florida swamps and scrublands, usually with the indifference or complicity of state regulatory agencies. Big surprise, right? Anyway, we'll talk about how these practices both degraded natural ecosystems and created suburban Florida as we know it now, and what the implications of those practices are for the state's future. I'm Christopher Nick, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Jason Buick, author of The Swamp Peddlers and The Yucks, two years in Tampa with the losingest team in NFL history, and he is an exiled Florida man living in Texas. So welcome to the Florida Book Club, Jason. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, regarding the swamp peddlers, I, I'm curious, like, what sparked your interest in this topic? I mean, is it something that you personally felt connected to or, you know, affected by in, in, in some way? Well, you know, I, I grew up in Punta which is 100 miles south of Tampa. It was a small turn-of-the-century town, and uh, the 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 thing about Punta was uh, it was surrounded uh, by these big land giant communities, big land sales communities that were so odd to me. They were they were lot sales mechanisms. You know, Port Charlotte, uh, Cape Coral, Lehigh Acres, Golden Gate Estates, Northport. Um, they called them land giant communities, and they were built to sell homes to Northerners. Um, and so. Home sales, lot sales, land development, um, and just the platting of hundreds of thousands of lots decades before they were really needed um, really was the, the, the geographic world that I lived in. All around us in Southwest Florida were these big land giant communities, and I found that odd. Um, I learned later that there were other communities in Florida like them, you know, Spring Hill, Deltona, Port St. Lucie, Palm Coast. Uh, but for the most part, where I lived, I thought was fairly unique. You know, it wasn't Tampa. Uh, it wasn't Miami. You know, it wasn't urban Florida, but it also wasn't the Florida of, uh, you know, the other Florida, small agricultural towns. So, you know, we were filled with northerners, um, but uh, we were largely empty. We were waiting for this land development to take place, which in some of these towns, you know, is only starting to happen 50 and 60 years later. Yeah, I know. As you detail so well in the book, that's uh, it's strange because I I actually got a little mad reading parts of this. I mean, you know, even though as as I mentioned, I'm probably you know enjoying the benefits indirectly of a lot of this development, you know, uh, living here. But I mean, did you feel any sense of injustice or that some ethical crime had been committed in a way to get Florida to where it is now, and that you you wanted to detail that in some way? Well. I I mean, as a writer, I mean, you're always looking for good ideas. Um, and and what strikes me the most, if you look at my my uh, <laughs> my oeuvre of, of works, you have I, my first book was the Yugo, the rise and fall of the worst car in history, and it's just kind of the theater <laughs> of the absurd. Um, I wrote a book on the Sarajevo Olympics, which was you know the 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 mm. least logical place to ever host the games, and the, and the country fell apart 
soon after. That's one um, of the first Olympics I remember watching. <laughs> I love yeah, right. And, and I wrote a book about the Buccaneers, not not the Bucks when they won, but when the Bucks when I remember they were terrible. And so I've always kind of gravitated towards the absurd. So, you know, of course, like most Americans, I'm I'm angry at environmental devastation and I'm I'm not happy with overdevelopment and, 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 you know, all of those things, you know, poor water quality and, and global warming and all those things that affect Florida today. But what drew me to the book kind of was the absurdity of it. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the Southwest Florida developing to sell lots, companies buying up giant ranches. Um, Port Charlotte and Northport was one ranch, 78,000 acres owned by a man named A.C. Frizzell, who had accumulated what had been largely worthless, denuded forest land in the 20s and the 30s, especially through the 30s during the Depression, you know, for a dollar an acre, things like that, off of the tax rolls. And then he had sold out to these developers in the mid-1950s who, who promptly divided the land into 200,000 80 by 125-foot lots, all connected by a road. And I thought that was, you know, just even looking back today, one of the most absurd things you could imagine. I mean, it, it makes sense economically, you know, it, it's a, it's a, you know, economy of scale, right? I mean, they're buying by the acre and selling by the foot. It's, it's the oldest story in the book, but to see it from the air or to be from Tampa and to roll into Lehigh Acres and to see 135,000 lots, but, in, you know, in the 70s, only 11,000 residents, you know, it, it looks like, it looks like Chernobyl, you know. I mean, some of these places that w- weren't developed, they look like those those films of nuclear tests in Nevada, you know, with the mid-century mannequin family being blown away, and then all that's left is a frame of a house. Or, yeah, I know what you. Mean. No house at all, right? And so that was, you know, what I remembered in the back of my head was something that I always, you know, stories stick with me as a writer. You know, I have a little a, a little part of my brain where there's twenty or thirty stories that are always. You know, percolating. And one was growing up surrounded by thousands of miles of roads to nowhere, roads to nowhere. And that's, that's where this book came from. Not any kind of sense of, of, of anger or frustration, just what the heck is this place and, and, and who did it? <laughs> and so it turned out to be a story of misdevelopment, a story of mischances and a story of a um, of, of failure of government oversight to, to create in sometimes livable communities, you know, we, we've had to retroactively make a lot of these communities livable. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I definitely got from the book. <laughs> it's just plan like the kind of urban planning where like, you know, you think of the town itself as an afterthought almost. And, uh, yeah, yes. I mean, you know, when you're, what happened in these communities and, and, and here's the basic history, um, Port Charlotte wasn't the first to do this. There were other communities, but Lehigh Acres in Fort Myers, this is like 1954. Um, and I'm sure there's some others around the state. I'm not talking about suburbs. You know, I'm not talking about Carrollwood, which was a 50s era, a very nice suburb of Tampa. Uh, these were um, communities that were built out of whole cloth. You know, Charlotte County was rural. There was no Port Charlotte. Punta was the county seat. It only had 3,000 people in 1950. You know, there was no port at Port Charlotte. <laughs> I found that pretty funny to read that that port is just sort of a, a, a sort of, you know, meaningless addendum to, to the name. Yeah, same thing with Port St. Lucie yeah. and, and Port, port St. John and Port Malabar, right? And, and so these, 
um, investors bought the land and turned to, in, in Port Charlotte, turned to the best developers in Florida, the Mackle brothers um, out of Miami. Um, a, a, amazingly interesting men. It, as important in Florida's history, in my opinion, is Distin or Plant or Flagler or Ball or you know any, any other people, mm-hmm. any of these other famous names, the Likes brothers that, that helped build Florida. The Mackles built Florida. They built it um, in the post-World War II era. They sold the Florida dream. And they were brought in from Miami after having built, you know, numerous, numerous suburbs um, in Broward, um, you know, Pompano Beach Highlands, um, in, um, you know, Palm Beach County, in Dade County. And they also built Key Biscayne. They went onto a, an island. They bought up a, um, a coconut plantation and built an entire functioning community. And so these investors, these, um, they were from Canada who bought these 78,000 acres went to the Mackles and said, you know, we need someone to develop this into a community. Uh, and the Mackles thought, who the heck is going to live here? You know, it's one thing to live in Carrollwood and commute into Tampa for your job, but it's another thing to live in rural Charlotte County, 30 miles from the nearest hospital, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, this is old Florida and you're, you're down Tamiami Trail and that's it. Two-lane, dark and somewhat dangerous road. Um, and the Mackles hit on selling lots to, to northern retirees, but not just you know wealthy retirees, because it's a nice place, Port Charlotte, but it's not, you know, it's not Sanibel, it's not Captiva on the water. Yeah. It's it's close to the water, um, but not really on it, and it's upper river. So it's not like that touristy Florida. So it's desirable. But to a certain class of Americans, and that was the working class retiree, you know. And so the Mackles figured out if they could sell this land enough of these lots at ten dollars down and ten dollars a month, they could bring in what they called the medium income retirees, people making about nineteen hundred dollars a year um, retired. You know, when the average Levittown homeowner made fifty five hundred dollars a year. You know, so retirees were priced out of suburbs in the north in the 50s. And this was the era of suburbs, right? This is when you left cities to go live in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, or Levittown, New York, or Mawa, New Jersey, or wherever. Um, but retirees couldn't afford it. You know, they wanted homes too. They wanted somewhere else outside of, you know, the, the declining Rust Belt. Um, and so the Mackles made Florida, um, you know, livable made Florida, uh, you know, something they could sell on the mass scale to middle income retirees who could afford to live or had, you know, at least a monthly check and could live in a simple little home a hundred miles from Tampa, you know, kind of mm-hmm. in, in what the New York Times called offbeat sections of the state. <laughs> that, that's pretty euphemistic. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know throughout the book, you, you detail the sort of different eras of development and land sales throughout the 20th century and into you know the early part of this century. Do you think that there, there's more vigilance or awareness of now about how land is sold or developed in, in Florida in a way? Because like, for instance, when I was reading this, I, I just was blown away because I can't imagine myself or anyone I know buying property sight unseen like this. You know, I, I don't Easy. like, crazy. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think that the... I mean, these sorts of practices that people are more on top of them or people are more aware, more, more vigilant. About. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that, 
you know, there are all these types of regulatory shenanigans going on in Florida all the time, right? We yeah. read about them, but but what did what those was, days? Said, uh, back scratching and patronage were a way of life in Florida. I think that's a, a quote. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's probably still the case. But, yeah. Florida in 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 the you know forties fifties like much of America you know um, environmental restrictions were unknown um, and and this is what people don't realize prior to the nineteen seventies according to the Florida law only municipalities only cities and towns had the legal authority by law to issue building codes zoning regulations that this is zoned commercial this is zoned you know residential. Um, Big cities, Tampa. Now, big counties like Hillsborough or Pinellas or you know Dade, they would then go to the state legislature and get special acts of legislature to, to give Hillsborough the right to zone and plan. But Charlotte County, rural Charlotte, or, or rural DeSoto County, or you know, name some others, Polk, you know, <laughs> and, and forget about the ones way up in the panhandle. Some of those didn't have zoning at all until the seventies, right? They didn't have any building codes in the counties. And so in Charlotte County, when the Mackle brothers came in and began building homes, I mean, they built sturdy little cinder block houses in a, in a semi pre prefab way, you know, an assembly line way, you, you know, you, you lay the slabs 50 times and then, you know, the bricklayers come and, you know, lay, lay the cement blocks and then the framers and the roofers and, you know, in, in teams, as mm-hmm. fast as they could build them, like Levittown, New York. But I was blown away to find out that Port Charlotte started like in 56, 57. And by 60, it had 3,000 residents and was just as big as Punta It was just as big as the county seat within like three or four years. Mm-hmm. But it had never had a single building inspection. <laughs> no one said, no, that's not a good idea. Or that's not up to snuff or that is not up to code because there wasn't a code. <laughs> you know, Florida didn't even have a shared code across the state and all municipalities until I don't, I think 2001. Right. I mean, wow. so the Mackles built an entire, you know, core of a community that now has 60,000 people with churches. There was a parochial school. There was a grocery store, a Seven Eleven. Not one person inspected a single nail. And and so imagine these companies then, and the Mackles were were pretty good. They were pretty pretty. They were straight shooters. But imagine some other less than ethical builders and land sellers. I mean, it was just some the of wild which you west. discuss in the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just the wild west. And and so you know, I think what we're talking about in this book, and again, we're not talking about suburbs and these big, you know, we're not talking about Tampa and, and, and extended Tampa or extended Miami. We're talking about this. What would I call the third Florida? You know, not urban Florida, not rural Florida, but this exurban Florida in between. Um, Spring Hill, giant suburb now of Tampa. But when it first started, it wasn't. It wasn't a suburb. It was a freestanding retirement community uh, where people could come down and live cheaply in a in a in, in what was a Deltona built home uh, built by the Mackle brothers. And and, and talking to the see, I know people and I've been to Golden Gate and Port Charlotte and Spring Hill and Deltona. And I never knew this stuff about their origins. And I'm and I'm I'm wondering, I mean, are is there any are the fallout or vestiges from the practices of their founding, like continuing to affect these communities today in some ways? 
I mean, because it seems to me like, yeah, I get what you're saying. It, it seems like some of them have developed into kind of thriving towns in some ways, but not living there. I don't know, like how. It- yeah, no, no, no. They're all thriving. I mean, nobody would look at Spring Hill and, and you know, with its. I don't know what's in Spring Hill now, but with its numerous McDonald's and Walmarts and, you know, it, it, it's, yeah. it's thriving by any, by any modern measure, right? Cape Coral is 200,000 people, Port St. Lucie's 200,000 people. I mean, these are, these are big thriving areas. And, and the other thing is homes in these places in Port Charlotte, uh, in Lehigh Acres are significantly lower than in North Tampa. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I'm not. Uh, deriding these communities I and mean, people coming down from up north to start a new life to live the Florida dream. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you, you know, off air that, you know, who am I to say they shouldn't do that? My parents did that. <laughs> you know, uh, who am I to dislike a community that's been dredged and filled when my own town was dredged and filled in the 1880s? I mean, that's just the cost mm-hmm. of living in Florida. Um, you know, so <laughs> some of the problems that are left over, though, I mean, let's think about this. What happens is the Mackles come into Port Charlotte, and this $10 down, $10 a month model hits. It becomes huge nationally. And so other developers get into the act, including some unsavory developers. But by the early 60s, um, I found a statistic. There were 234 companies selling 50 lots or more in Florida, 234 companies. And there were hundreds selling less than 50, and they didn't have to register with the state. So lot sales suddenly becomes the alpha and omega of Florida land development, not home sales, right? It's easier to sell a lot sight unseen with a mail-in card or with a salesman in you know, Muncie, Indiana, than it is to get a family to move down to Florida. And so mm-hmm. these communities did grow, but lot sales trumped home sales. And so uh, they sold literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lots sight unseen to Northerners. And and the goal was to just chop up as much land as possible, as quickly as possible. And so now we see the fallout of that. You know, we see Cape Coral is bigger than Boston and San Francisco combined. (laughs) That's insane Um, in terms of land area. (laughs) Oh, and, and then there were no restrictions. So Lehigh Acres, no one said, hey, it's probably not a good idea to build 135,000 lots to sell those lots willy-nilly, to let people build wherever they want to build and not have a central water utility. <laughs> you know, and so today we have, you know, I, last statistic, I saw 22,000 septic tanks in Lehigh Acres. Um, I saw another one in 2016. It was 12,000 or 16,000 people were signed up to the city grid for water, but there's a hundred thousand residents. Mm. Right? I mean, this is terrible for the environment. Uh, this is terrible for the Caloosahatchee River, which is wildly polluted anyways, when the Army Corps of Engineers opens up the locks from Lake Okeechobee. Um, so you know, you have Cape Coral, where no one told the Rosen brothers and the Gulf American Corporation, no, we don't need 400 miles of man-made canals. <laughs> you know, no, we don't need that because. No one knew that, for example, you know, you build 400 miles of canals, salt water comes in in the winter when the water's not coming out of the state in the dry season, salt water comes in and it never comes out. So what is that going to do if we had essentially 400 mile long river of salt water coming up into, yeah. into the Caloosahatchee? And, 
you, you know, and I didn't start out this book as an environmentalist at all. It, it's it's just kind of the sins of the grandfathers visited upon the grandsons in a way. Um, and, and what do we do now? You know, I, I'm not advocating, you know, short of moving away, <laughs> go back to, you know, Dayton, Ohio. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Um, I just wonder what do we do now? I, 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 I pointed out some problems and I pointed out a few sort of fixes, but I mean, really, I, I would like, you know, planners um, environmental experts to kind of read this book and, and point at these communities. How do you fix a lot, an unincorporated community like Port Charlotte of 60,000 people and 200,000 lots? How do you fix that? Hmm. You know, and that's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, when you think about 135,000 lots, I mean, if that's even just a couple moving in there, that's 270,000 people, which you've got pretty much a mid-sized city right there. So yeah. I guess those numbers didn't really resonate with me until we're talking about them right now. It's like, wow, that is that's an amazing amount of people. <laughs> oh, oh, just in Southwest Florida. I mean, Port Charlotte and Northport, and, and I could never figure out um, it was one complex. Northport is in Sarasota County. Port Charlotte is in Charlotte County, but it was that same ranch. Mm -hmm. And so general development, the company kind of, the Mackles created the general development company and they kind of considered it one complex. So I, I know that it had 198,000 lots, and I can't tell if that's for just Port Charlotte or both, but that's 200,000 lots in one small area. I mean, these communities, planners will use the term down there, build out. At build out, we will have, they know exactly how many people they will have. They know exactly how many homes because that entire place was platted single family residential back in 1956 or whenever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always, my question for planners, and I've, I've interviewed quite a few and I've become good friends with some over this book and they're, they're just brilliant. They know everything about this modern history of Florida that historians really don't. I mean, these guys were in the trenches and I say, what, what would happen if Jeff Bezos, Bezos, I, I don't know how to say his name, Bezos, let's say he's up in his, the cosmonaut and his satellite flying above the earth. And he points down to Port Charlotte and says, I want to build my new Amazon Taj Mahal right there. I'm going to spend $50 billion and I'm going to employ, you know, everyone and their brother in Florida. Port Charlotte would go, great. Where are you going to put it? <laughs> There's no land. Every bit of land in Port Charlotte has been divided and chopped up into residential lots, 80 by 125 foot lots. So there's God knows how many different owners that would. Yeah, or, God or knows how many different owners, interest, yeah. but you can't rezone that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you can't, first of all, you can't imminent domain for private purposes anymore. That ended in the 90s or the early 2000s. They used to be able to do that in Florida, but you could see, you know, you could see the abuse in that. You take grandma's home because you want to build a shopping mall, you know? So that ended in Florida. So you could really only take it for, you know, you, you need a park or you need, you know, uh, um, you know, something for the public good, but you, you can't say that Amazon's warehouse is going to, you know, that's for private use. So you can't do that anymore. So you would have to, let's say you needed 50 acres. You'd have to find every single owner. You'd have to pay them all, you know, provided they would all sell. What if one person held out or two people, then you'd have to somehow get the county and the state to let you rezone that whole area, which people could fight in court. Then you'd have to do, um, the water 
you know, all the water you're going to be moving and shifting. And, and that's a whole nother level of government oversight. And it's just impossible. So yeah. these areas are, are, are straight jacketed uh, yeah, forevermore. Hamstrung in a way by hamstrung. the previous way that they were developed. Yeah. I know that in Cape Coral, um, planning guys have had um, public hearings. They had one, you know, about 15, 20 years ago called a platapalooza. <laughs> Come and give us your ideas because we're stumped. We don't know how, and, and, and the problem then is Cape Coral and Lehigh and Deltona and Port St. Lucie, you don't have big businesses. You have strip malls. You don't have downtowns. There's so no you don't have print or anything like that. Exactly. And, and therefore the taxes that are, that are floating this community are largely paid by homeowners on little tiny houses, not, you know, 20 story bank buildings right. that don't use hospitals, that don't use schools. You know, you need a, a robust business district to offset the taxes that are paid by the residents. And, you know, what do you do when you, when you, you just have homes? That's all you have. And then on top of that, in Port Charlotte, Northport, you have a very high percentage of retirees on fixed incomes. So you can't really raise taxes anymore. You can't do any big things. You know, you, you, you can't do what may be needed in the next 50 years with global warming and, 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 you know, this high population growth, it's just, you're, you're hamstrung. That's, that's a good term for it. Yeah. It's, and, and I read in the Tampa Bay times some years back that there's an average of 900 people a day moving to Florida, which seems astounding, but I, I, you know, to, to talk about like the strain that that puts, you know, on everybody just and the environment, just in terms of accommodating them and stuff. But it's hard to tell reading like the epilogue in your later chapters here, like if you do have hope for environmentally sound, you know, development and planning going forward, you know, and and, and maybe do you have any opinions about how could or should this state have been developed? I mean, I, I know you're not necessarily an expert or a builder. Or a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm torn. You know, I'm torn again. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's tough. You know, wh- how did I want Florida to look? You know, every Floridian, it's funny, you know, you see older Floridians who all came down here, but they want the next generation to not come, <laughs> you know, and, and that's gone on for a hundred years, 150, you know, just, and, and, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, and, and as an historian, I can only really tell us how we got here. Right. Um, this book might not mean a lot for an urban Miami condo dweller. But for most planners and most people looking at the state, most people in government, um, you know, this is this is the interior. Think of California. This is the valley, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and this is where the people are, or, or they're going to be. I mean, and we know that Cape Coral by 2050 is going to have a half a million people. Port St. Lucie is going to have half a million people. We know it build out. They know what that means. Port Charlotte is going to have, you know, 200 and 350,000 people. These are the growth areas. Um, and these were the homes are cheaper, right? Homes are still cheaper here. So as these 900 people come down and cities become more and more expensive, I mean, I've seen Tampa, you know, in the nineties, I thought about buying a little house on Davis Island. I couldn't afford that little house today. That's a dredge and fill project right there. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there's a hospital the on there. I mean, yeah. From the twenties, you know, yeah. people are being priced out. You know, it, it's becoming harder and harder for a teacher to live in a big urban County in Florida. Um, but you can do that in Charlotte or you can do that in, in, you know, 
Northport, and you can do that in Port St. Lucie. And so people are attracted here. Um, I guess historically, I simply want to point out that the state just promoted business at all costs. They promoted, um, you know, as a kid, I wondered, do I want the Chamber of Commerce to just put a big arrow over Punta Gorda? No, <laughs> I don't want that. No, thank you. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I didn't want that. I didn't want just, just please come at all costs without any kind of sense to it. Um, I didn't like that. I, I didn't like that growing up that I wasn't against anyone coming in. I was never like Yankee go home. My dad was a Yankee, a Pittsburgher, and my mother was a Floridian. But at, at the same time, you know, it, it may not be a good thing to get that big shopping center with a Publix. You know, it may not be. Let's think about other ways to build. And, and no one did that in the 50s and 60s and into the 70s. And so Florida's water quality was horrific. Um, phosphate issues. I, I know the Peace River where I grew up, um, they had a, a sludge, you know, kind of like this, what was it, Piney Point or what, what is it called? Um, yeah, I, that uh, that yeah, just the place in Manatee. The phosphate. Uh, yeah, we we had a sludge spill in the Peace River that coated it seventy miles with what someone called cookie batter, and it killed everything in it. I mean, and so Florida was really hurting, and, and it finally started to put the kibosh on just wanton land development like these guys did. But we're still stuck with it, and I wish someone in the past had said. In the least, sure, you can plat 135,000 lots if you sell them. <laughs> if you sell them, and like people... that, there were conditions attached of some exactly. Kind. If you sell these 10,000 first and you build so many homes on them, and then you do this next section and this next section, and no, we don't want to go over there because it's too close to the Caloosahatchee or the Braden River or whatever river, right? Maybe it's too close for 10,000 septic tanks. Maybe you can build this, but you have to have a, a water utility system, right? No, you can't have this many canals. You have to leave this many mangroves. And in the 50s, forget about it, man. I mean, build, build. Uh, if you build it, they will come, and that is good. Um, and so there was no you know, organizational sense, no planning sense to any of it. And now we're stuck with it. Um, you know, what does it mean now? I, I don't know. Um, how do we fix this now? How do you, how do you tell people, you know, you, you shouldn't live this close to the Caloosahatchee with septic tanks? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. how do we afford to put, you know, the 100,000 people that live in Lehigh Acres today near Fort Myers, everyone in, on utilities? It, it's outrageously expensive, you know, to, to retroactively do this. Um, but it's going to have to be done. You know, it's going to have to be done. I mean, look at, look at the red tide issue. You know, yeah. look at or that. the blue green algae. I know that uh, in the Caloosahatchee, they had specifically tied some of that a few years ago to septic tank leakage and things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and it, we're it's definitely tough. still living with that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's tough. You know, so so I, I don't know. This is you know, it's kind of absurd, and it's why I came to this. You know, these these roads to nowhere that kind of drove me to the story. Um, you know, a, a core community. With you know Port Charlotte, when I was growing up, had like twenty thousand people, maybe twenty five thousand people, but all around it were endless roads that that we would go to high school parties on or race cars on, and <laughs> um, drug dealers used to fly into these streets to draw in Cessnas to drop off their loads from the Caribbean, and and I thought that was an urban legend, but it's not. There are articles all over Florida of planes landing in Golden Gate Estates. Um, 
you know, they, they had a cocaine bust on a plane that landed on one of these roads and they found a hundred million in Coke in the eighties. What is that today? I mean, enormous, you know, criminality and, um, you know, using these streets and, uh, in, in Charlotte County is a problem with people dumping, dumping old refrigerators, dumping trash, you know, it's just bad all the way around, you know, roads that will never be built on and are just, you know, abusive of the environment and wasteful, wasteful of Florida's nature, you know, it, fine. We're going to grow, we're going to build, but think about it, man. Can, can we, can we do this in a better way? And, and I, we sure didn't do it then. <laughs> yeah. So we head into an ambiguous future. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. I, I think that's, that's what I would take from this. And, you know, who knows with global warming and, you know, who knows what this is going to mean. Um, you know, Cape Coral with its 400 miles of canals, or uh, I do know on a positive note, um, Golden Gate Estates, the southern part of it was 55,000 acres of a failed development. It had grids. You could see the grid from on Google, go to Google Earth and look at Golden Gate Estates south below I-75, below Alligator Alley, and you'll still see the street grid of the 1950s and 60s. When northerners were told they could build there, they were lied to. Um, they were shown the property in the winter months when it was dry, when it was never going to be built on, but they built streets to drive on. And the state, local authorities, um, the Audubon, uh, you know, the, the, the various um, environmental groups and the federal government got together and figured out a way to buy up these properties and then to eminent domain the others for the public good uh, because it would never be built on. And to return this to its natural state, and that's what they're doing now. You know, and that's a success story. That 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 has happened and is happening today. They're undoing these canals that take the water out of the Everglades like a river when it should be a river of grass. It should be in sheets instead of just a big canal. And uh, so, you know, there are some positives with these places, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do with our platted lands problem because it's still here. Well, Jason Vuick, thank you for <laughs> your perspective on these issues. Debbie Downer. <laughs> no, and I can only hope when I'm driving through Wesley Chapel in these other areas of Pasco where I see these roads being built that have nothing along them yet, I'll, I'll always have, I'll, I'll be haunted by these uh, <laughs> visions. Although I, I, I can probably maybe take solace in that they're being more reasonably planned. And, and uh, Yes, know. they are. Yes, they are. And they, and they have to address regional water issues too. And then that's, that's something that didn't happen mm -hmm. in Port Charlotte and Cape Coral and, you know, water use, especially, um, you know, traffic, all these things, what's your regional impact. And, and that's great. That's a great thing. And, and should be, should be strengthened. You know, I, I, I think there's a right way to develop and a wrong way to develop. I, and I can't tell you all the positives of all the things you need to do right, but I still believe uh, regulation in Florida needs to happen because we live in a swamp. We live in a wet state. Even when it's dry, it's still a wet state. <laughs> and we need to be very, very careful with the way we live in it. Okay. Well, on that note, Jason Vuick, thank you for joining us. You are now a member of the Florida Book Club. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Thanks for attending this meeting of the Florida Book Club. We have links on our website to purchase the Swamp Peddlers, as well as a link to creative presentations of overhead views of abandoned and overcrowded developments in Southwest Florida, some of which we mentioned in this episode. 
Jason will be appearing as part of the Florida History Center's lecture series at Florida Southern College October 28th, so be sure to check that out if you're in the area and if you remember to mask up. Remember to support your local independent bookstores and public libraries. See you at our next meeting.